Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield, who is currently at the Commodity Classic. Be listening for her reports here on the Rural Radio Network. Joining to talk the trade today, John Payne, Hedgepoint Global Markets. Of course, you can catch John every day on the Rural Radio Network with his closing market commentary uh, just as the settlements start to come in. But, John, I appreciate the fact we get to go a little bit more longer format here, really dive down into the meat of this market. We've already kind of talked about the WASDE report and the and the macro market trade still holding on here today. So let's look at Hedgepoint Global Markets. I know you, at Hedgepoint you ha- offer some products, some crushes and things that try to kind of boil some of these markets down into one thing that you can watch and see. How did they react today with the WASDE report? Well, first start with the first part of that. appreciate you having me on, by the way. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Um, as far as what we do here, uh, at Hedgepoint Global Markets, we're very similar to a firm that you would have in your local area that trades futures and options, all the way up to somebody that would be a commercial end user that would need credit to trade with. So we offer, you know, all sorts of solutions for risk management. That can be, you know, board traded options that you and you know you and your your uh, your interviewees talk about during the week. Um, but then we also have product markets that we develop. So we've invented, let's see, quote, I'm using air quotes here, invented uh, products that consist of all of these commodities so we can track more, you know, ethanol crush margins, livestock crush margins. Even in our European office, we use cocoa crush margins. So a company like Nestle can factor in their diesel costs, the chocolate costs, and the dairy costs, and just create like a one-line item of um, tradable instruments. And so, you know, one the two things that I think would be for your listeners here in Nebraska would be the crush spreads in the cattle, of course, where – you know, you have products that are involving feeder cattle and corn as your inputs, and then you have an output of live cattle. We can track that on a one contract per basis margin per head, uh, and, and, you know, it's a really good way to watch the industry and a really good way to kind of keep your eye on how, how markets are affecting and shaping out, not just in the short term, but in the long term. So, you know, for example, we're looking at uh, the October feedlot spreads, right? And so that'll involve a March, uh, March feeder cattle contract, which is currently trading July corn, and then the October fat cattle, live cattle contract at the CME. And those margins in the 1st of May were right around $470 per head. Right now, they're around $670 per head. So we've seen in a 10-month period, margins for feeder cattle feeding almost go up 50%. And so today, you see the feeder cattle up huge. Corn softened, but today was a really nasty day for the feedlots. The feedlots are seeing live prices in the back of the curve kind of stay where they are, and the feeders are now picking up. So I look at the the margin for cattle, kind of like a tube of toothpaste, for example. You know, it, it, if, if it's half empty, you only have kind of the toothpaste in certain areas of the tube. For the longest time, it was in the front of the curve where you had uh, the front user was the meatpacking plants. And so they had cheap live or cheap uh, inputs, whether it be cheap corn, cheap feeder cattle, cheaper than expected live cattle, and they were turning it into expensive beef, especially as COVID took put, took hold. Then we moved on into the middle part of the section where I think we're kind of either in it or coming out of it where the feedlots are starting to really develop huge spreads. And slowly but surely, you're going to see the cowboy at the very back of the curve uh, in the structure sitting there looking at 230, 240 feeder cattle. And, you know, we got to grow those cattle. The market's demanding it. So you're going to see them react, but it takes a long time. So at this point, following those spreads are a good way to do it. 
sounds like a very interactive, in an interactive way to do so. But like you said, you're being able to encompass so much of the market and really boil it down into one product that's a lot easier. I'm sure from an accounting perspective, too, you've got to be getting some benefits there. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway I have from anybody. I've been hedging and helping risk manage for almost 15 years. And a lot of it, I came in early from the, from the farmer side. And the farmers, you know, they're very in tune with what they're doing. So accounting, is, it's important, but it's not as important as it would be, say, for a corporation, that, like a food company, for example. You know, their accountants don't understand these derivatives, and they get real confused real quick when you start combining positions to represent your cash. So we're trying to cut through that a little bit, hopefully develop some option markets on these. You can trade like a put on the hog crush or on the cattle crush. But uh, at this point, these are all kind of tries, and that's really what we specialize in. Uh, I think for the farmer side, you know, one thing you can use me for would be to follow uh, an MI, a market intelligence letter we produce. It's called the Hedge Point Situation Report. It just kind of goes out to our clients and prospects to get to know us a little better, introduce OTC markets, introduce you know, uh, things that you're probably already aware of. And then the second thing would be to bounce ideas off of us in regards to who, you know, working with your local elevators, because your local elevators would use a company like ours to price their products that they sell you to cover your cash. And a lot of times the farmer doesn't have, it's not like you can go to two stores and compare price. So uh, we can help you with that if you're interested in getting to know us a little better. Uh, might be a decent way to start. John, we got about a minute left here on the WASD today. Of course, all eyes on South America. The interesting thing, Hedgepoint Global Markets, you guys have some deep South American contacts. What do they show right now in Argentina? How desperate, how poor is this crop? Yeah, we have. I'm one of seven Americans that work for the company. We're 100 different Brazilians and Argentinians, and they've been saying for a while. I mean, there's there's nothing that's coming out of the USDA that that isn't expected here. I think they'll continue to break it down. I mean, they are in a 2012 drought down there in Argentina, which honestly is a little bit scary for me watching the markets here and how weak they are relative to the story going on. Argentina is a huge corn producer and a huge soybean meal exporter. So you've seen the meal rally and that's reflective of it, but we haven't seen that corn perform very well. So, you know, I think this is, if you're a believer in the corn markets, this is an opportunity, especially in those deferred contracts, like March of next year, you know, you might be able to buy some $4 corn here uh, with a four handle on it. If you use some, some proper strategies, um, but the key is to know what you're doing, so don't do not do it before you talk to an expert. We're talking with John Payne, Hedgepoint Global Markets on the Fontenelle Final Bell. Don't go anywhere, though. We still have an entire segment to cover, and that's where we're going to step a little bit over into that livestock trade as well, take a look at what's happening in other global markets and macro market influences like the Fed and those continually raising interest rates, what that means for your operating and what that means for your operation as well. You're listening to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome to the Fontenelle Feature. I'm Joe Gangwish, FSR with Fontenelle Hybrids. We're going to visit with Bob Wiseman. He's a Fontenelle Hybrids dealer in the Hershey, Nebraska area. So, Bob, tell us what you enjoy most about working with Fontenelle Hybrids. I would say it's the relationships that we've built with our FSRs and agronomy guys. Just the knowledge that's out there and any questions, people are readily available to answer and and help you out. And being a dealer for Fontenelle, what's been the most rewarding aspect for you? Finding the products that fit a producer's needs and watching them succeed. And what makes Fontenelle stand out among other local seed brands? I would say it's probably our large selection of quality hybrids to fit all maturities and then the abundance of varieties with and without traits to fit everybody's needs. For more about us, you can visit Bob Wiseman there in the Hershey area, any of our Fontenelle dealers across the state of Nebraska, or go to Fontenelle.com. 
Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton again in for Susan Littlefield, who's currently a commodity classic. Talking the trade, John Payne, Hedgepoint Global Markets. John, exciting news and exciting products we're able to discuss there in segment one. Let's now take the 30,000-foot view to the market. That's the macro market space. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell before the Senate on Tuesday. He's before the House on Wednesday. And all signs look probably to more aggressive and continuing interest rate hikes. What does this mean to the market, and what does this mean for the farm and rancher? Well, you know, I, I don't want to speak to everybody's situation. They're all different here, but the, anybody who's leaning on short-term rates, so if you're borrowing off like the five-year Treasury note uh, or the two-year Treasury note, you're going to notice a significant increase in year-over-year borrowing costs. So that's, I think, kind of getting into the market here where, you know, the, the credit – Credit is one of those things that kind of runs the world. We don't know it, but the ability for us to transact without, you know, paying cash for everything uh, is something that we've really have been able to live on for the last decade, 15 years even. And now we're finding ourselves in an environment where that's not the case anymore. And speaking for somebody who's 43 years, 43 years old, there hasn't been that long in my professional life that we've even had uh, rates like this. So I know everybody out there who's listening is going to yell at me about the 80s, and I understand. I, I, I lived through those, too, uh, as a young child. But I think at this point you see the credit uh, avoidance is now coming for the farmer from the credit side for who they do business with. So, for example, uh, somebody who's buying corn, all right, if you're feeding corn in a feedlot or feeding corn in a chicken plant or whatever, and you want to buy a head, if I want to go out and buy corn for next year where it's cheaper, the, the, the merchandisers you're doing that with are having to loan you money to put on those positions with a guy like me and then meet those margin calls. So that, that has now all of a sudden gotten really expensive because a lot of that is being done with borrowed capital. And so at this point, you're seeing less and less extension of credit in those markets, which I think, honestly, is probably supportive for the grains, at least in the, in the more medium term, because, again, the people I work with, chicken plants out in Pennsylvania, for example, they're not sophisticated. They don't have huge amount of supply chains to work through. They're trying to borrow through their merchandisers to go out and buy buy corn where it pencils well out at let's call it five fifty, and they can't get the credit for it. So they're just saying, "Hey, you're going to have to hold off and not buy until you need it," which means prices probably going to be a little higher and squeeze them out. I would imagine. So I think short term we're just seeing liquidation. I wouldn't be shocked to see this go through the end of the quarter, um, but I, I would be reluctant to say that the harvest highs are in for a market like December corn. And so when we look at this from a managed money perspective as well, are we going to see an outflow of money, of of managed money from the commodity complex if they can put it in treasuries, especially with that like two-year note trading now over 4%, there seems to be lower risk, higher return assets out there on the market right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I, I before I was just screwing around on the internet and saw, uh, you know, Warren Buffett is buying treasuries hand over fist. I mean, these are mainstream media articles that are out there. I think that's what you're going to see here. There'll be a bubble in this where folks will just jump in and start to realize, hey, I can get 5%, you know, locked in for two years. I mean, I got to borrow, you know, AT&T's dividend is like 6%, 7%. So you're getting to a point here where there isn't that much competition. It's like, why would I loan money to AT&T at 7% when I can loan money to the U.S. government at 5 And one of them is guaranteed and won't get written down. So I think at this point you have uh, – the market dealing with that. So it, it's important that this is not a panic moment. I don't think anybody sh- should panic here. I think I expect the basis to pick up drastically. And I think you're seeing that in front month corn spreads. But in the markets like cattle, for example, where it's an intensive cash intensive business, 
I really worry that you're going to see a meatpacking plant go under. And then the bid for live cattle falls with the feeder cattle market staying high. That is the, the concern I have for the feedlot um, and anybody who's trying to buy corn right now because I think it, it could get quite complicated uh, as we get into next year. And you're bringing up the livestock as a great point. That feeder cattle, the futures, just will not back away. Of course, they're supported from the cash index perspective. The country is still very hot when it comes to these feeders. But how much room does this market really have before we see a major correction? <laughs> Five days ago, my advice is the same thing. I, I, I think at this point, you've got a market that's going to blow out, and it's it's really going to squeeze out and then come back. Watch the August contract. That's the one to really keep your eyes on here. 220 we almost traded it today. You know, that's almost $40 above where it delivered a year ago, and that's probably cheap on a percentage basis relative to what other commodities have done over the last year. Feeders have not had their party. You see the March contract above its highs, the April contract above its summer highs, and then every other contract in the summer beyond is already trading on contract highs. So the worry for me is not feeders, it's fats. I think if fats don't hang in here, that's where feeders could really fall. But I think supply is, is there to support the feeder cattle market. I think it's a little over its skis at this point, but again, end of the quarter. I would not be too aggressive as a, of a dip buyer here or a top seller in feeder cattle until we get to that uh, planted acreage report. I just don't think the trends change till then. We're again talking with John Payne, Hedgepoint Global Markets. If you'd like to become a member of the SITREP Report, call, email John, become a member of that as well. John, we appreciate the time. Thank you to Fontenelle Hybrids as well for their continuing support here of the Fontenelle Final Bell. Remember, you can always catch us as a podcast, ruralradionetwork.com. Do remember, trading futures and options involve risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing.